Perseverance, grit, toughness. We all know a story about someone who stuck it out against all odds and triumphed. But what happens when we've crossed that line, where we've burnt through every form of capital, not just money? When we're more focused on not losing than on winning? When the passion is gone? Today on the Startup Therapy Podcast, we'll explore when it's time to pack up camp, fold the tents, and move on. I'm Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, here with my partner, Will Schroeder, to bring you another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. Will, we've picked another pretty heavy topic for today. Uh, It seems to be par for the course, but um, today we're going to dig into what happens when you really do need to pack it up, fold tents, call it quits at home. It's a real topic, right? I mean, like, we love to talk about how exciting it is to build something, but we don't have a lot of conversations about when it's time to end something, right? It's absolutely true. I've done a lot of startups, and unfortunately, I've ended a lot of startups, and every single time, no one just sat across from me and said, dude, time to fold the tents. Everyone was like, everyone knew it, but no one ever said it. And I thought it would be really helpful to start to look for really clear signs, like we'd be the one cool friend that was actually honest with you, <laughs> that, you know, of when you, it's, it's time to, to fold the tents and shut it down. And there is a time, right? It's such a hard discussion to have because it can be a really hard point to discern for the, the entrepreneur who is going through it, for people who are looking in from the outside, because as I said in the intro, we do have a lot of these stories where, you know, it was just that one more push. You know, I, I, I just did this gargantuan effort and I overcame and now I'm, I'm successful. But for every one of those, there's a hundred where it was like they just kept going for far too long, wore themselves out, and it still ended up in, in flames at the end. But it can be really, really hard to see either from the inside or the outside. And so I, I know I've sat across the table from people who are telling me something. I'm thinking like, well, we're definitely near that point where the right advice is probably dude, just shut it down. And on the other hand, it can be really hard to deliver that to somebody because you don't want to be the one that fires that, you know, the shot that goes through the bottom of the boat that ultimately ends up sinking the thing. Yeah, yeah. Where do you draw the line right. between shifting focus and giving up? Yes. Did she just shift focus to something else and then you know, work on something more productive or did she really just give up? Yeah. <laughs> or did she do both? Did she get, give right. up and shift you know, to something else? Right. And I, I think when most of us are in this place, which again, you and I have been there before, our ego gets to us, right? 100%. We're not really always combating with the situation itself, with the, the status of the startup. We're often combating with our own damn ego of not being willing to admit it's kind of game over. Yeah. And there's, and there's a lot of things that feed into that, right? It's not just your own ego. It's the expectations of the people around you people that you that are relying on you for the success of the business or just people that you've told you're going to be successful with this. Uh, I think that the stage at which you've taken it to has a lot to do with it. And this you know, feeds into the sunk cost fallacy, um, whereby the more time we put into something, the less likely we are to be able to be willing to shut it down, right? Because we've Absolutely. gone so far with it, right? We've invested in our ego in this case, right? We've built it up and we're like, we've, we've come this far it can only be a little bit further. Well, it turns out that's not always true. And it gets exponentially worse because 
every single time we have more people attached to this. And those people could be employees, of course, but they could be investors. They could be loved ones who, you know, we burnt through a lot of capital with them in order to, to get this far. It could be the media. You know, the media wrote these great stories about us. In the back of our mind, we're thinking, well, shit, now they're going to write horrible stories about us, <laughs> right? right. You, you've got all of these pieces and parts attached to this thing. And now you're like, dude, how do I want unwind from this thing? Right. right. And, and do I just stay with it? Because the perception of unwinding is so painful. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, and that's, it's an interesting point. And sometimes it's actually easier to keep doing the wrong thing than to do the right and the hard thing. Right. It's like, we know it's not going to go anywhere. We may have even convinced ourselves it's not going to go anywhere, but we can't take that final bit of pain that is winding it down. But I want to back up for a second. You, you said something interesting, and that was, uh, you know, we've, we've burnt through capital with our family. And I think that, you know, it's an important point. There's lots of different oh, yeah. types of capital, right? lots of different types of capital that we burn through when we, when we start these companies. And it's not just money. So let's, let's talk about that a bit. What, what are some other types of capital that you have motored your way through, spent, and, and not gotten a return on? Oh man, uh, like literally shaving years off my life in the important years because they're on the front end where I'm still living on. <laughs> right. Yeah, people don't, we don't talk about a lot of these forms of capital and that that freaks me out because everybody thinks of actual capital capital. That we think of how much money yep. is left in the startup's bank account. It's all gone and so I guess we're done. And that's, you know this, that's just a part of it. There's yes. another piece too, which it's not just the startup's money, you know, maybe you raised money or, or borrowed money, also your own money. You know, there's a yeah. point where you don't even have any of your own cash left. You, you're so maxed out on every credit card, your head's about to explode. Yeah. And you're also not making any more, right? Not only have you burnt through what you had until you stopped doing this thing, you're not going to make any more. Oh, it's so bad. And in that time, as that's happening, you know, we've got that one binary meter that is cash. But man, that's not really what we're talking about. There's all kinds of capital, right? You know, one of the ones we talk about is relationship capital, whereby you've basically burned your relationships. And I don't just mean with the investors, could be, or the employers, could be. I'm talking with people who care about us, oh, yeah. right? This is a painful place to be. And at which point you've uh, bowed out on your kid's soccer game for like the 11th time, at some point, you know, there ain't no more left in the bank. Yeah, you're into the second season at that point. <laughs> I'm saying. And like, and you get to a point with, with your relationship capital where your loved ones, either they haven't seen you or they have seen you and you're just the most miserable version of yourself, right? Yeah, and that starts to rub off in a big way. Yeah, and you're burning through those relationships and you get to a point where if you keep going down this path with this business, with this startup at this rate, those people won't be around for you in quite the same way. Or you'll create exactly true lasting damage in those relationships, like kind of how your kids remember you, right? Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely true. When we think about all the types of capital that we have, the relationship capital is a big one. And I think it's, it's easy to overlook. But again, there's more than that, right? We, we've got the emotional capital. You know, how many times, Ryan, have you tried to go to the bank for yourself, trying to psych yourself up going into a job that you knew was going to fail? 
Uh, do I have to answer this honestly? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Now's the lot. time. Now's yeah, the time. it's a lot. You know, more more than I more than I'd care to care to admit. Uh, you know, there, there's a there's a real pattern there in the entrepreneurial space where we we end up doing this over and over and over again. <laughs> At some point, you're like, this is literally all I have left, right? And because we're we're talking about emotional capital now, right? And yeah. and sometimes that's all you've got. And you're like, all right, we have spent some relationships. We have spent the actual money. All I've got left is my passion for this thing, which is a finite resource, believe it or not. And yeah, you, you go to that bank and at some point you'll find out that that too is gone, right? You can only psych yourself up so many times and get the same result, the, the, the wrong result and keep doing that, right? And where's you out? Yeah. Look, it, it's like getting yourself psyched up to do an Olympic run but never actually going on the run. I mean, it's, you're getting yourself psyched up for actually no positive outcome over yeah. and over <laughs> and over. Lacing yourself up into concrete blocks to start the race. Right? <laughs> it's awesome. exactly it, right? Your health meter there is, you know, we use video game ter- terminology all the time, but your health bar is blinking on that one too, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, if we're going to talk about health, your actual yeah. health capital, right? Yes. I've seen so many entrepreneurs ourselves included, age by the minute, you know, trying to run through this game, right? It's gross. Yeah, it is. Uh, it was just a couple of weeks ago, we pulled out some photos of 2013. Oh, God. And, uh, well, here's the good news, though. Some of that was reversible. We all look 10 years younger than we did in 2013, you know, six, seven years later. Uh, Dude, we, we don't look 10 years younger. We look 20 <laughs> years older. <laughs> in those other photos, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, it yeah. was so bad. I mean, I look at when we were in the heart of it, you know, when we were building startups, Ryan, this had to be six or seven years ago. It was. Think of all the life events we had going on at that time, right? All of them. Um, Oh my God, so many. Like, (laughs) And just our health deteriorated by the minute. Like, we both just had our our first children. I had just gotten married. You had gotten married recently before that. We'd moved into new houses. We'd started a new business. I mean, anything you could do that was new, we did it all at the same time. Yeah, let's just do it all at once and see what happens. Well, in <laughs> the before and after photo on that one is not good. Oh my gosh. And, and to look at that cretin that came up and I've got some famous pictures that I, I always show whenever we talk about like where things were and people are saying, yes. hey, it must be nice. I'm like, uh-huh. dude, take a look at this photo and tell me anything where a caption is, it must be nice. Like, right. <laughs> I look yeah. like I am in shambles. Tell me how nice this looks. You can see exactly the state of things just from, just from that, that photo. I think we're in the, in the show notes today, we may need to include some before the during and now the, the very much way, way after uh, photos, just so people can understand what we're talking about. But it was, it was real. We looked near death at one point. It was bad. And, and you know what's funny about that too is that's when things were kind of going well. And to the extent that you know, we're still trying to build and kind of run into the abyss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but that's not what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about when things have all gone to hell. Right. Right. And, and there is no coming back. Right. Yes. And I think when we look at ourselves, when we look in the mirror and we're like, who is this haggard ghoul-like feature, right? It's gross. And I think in the article I mentioned, ironically, it's what happens whenever I turn on the camera to my phone and I accidentally start with a selfie cam. Yeah. It, Who's that guy? Always, it's always <laughs> the most ghoulish version yeah. of myself. Yeah. It hasn't adjusted. I haven't gotten the perfect uh, you know, three-quarter uh, type picture. 
it's horrible. But that's what I look like every day. I mean, that just catches yeah. me in bad light. That's just what I look like in daylight is bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but regardless, at which point we have just burned through every form of capital. Again, health capital, emotional capital, relationship capital, capital yeah. capital, right? Yeah. All of it. I mean, at some point, we've got to say, this is no longer a healthy way for me to work, right? Right. And consider shutting it down. Yeah. At that point, it's no longer about winning. It's about not losing, right? Yeah. You've exhausted your resources that would potentially allow you to win. And now it's just the end of a horrible war of attrition uh, that ends uh, with you on the wrong side. Yeah, and look, and, and people think about this all the time. They say, you know, I don't want to be the the guy or gal that gave up, so I'm going to just soldier through this, and I'm going to, you know, make this work no matter what. And that, that's noble, right? And, and there's a time and a place for that. But there's also a time and a place to say, look, man, you're no longer trying to win. You're focused on just not losing. You just you're yep. just not willing to let this go, and yep. that's a dangerous place to be, right? Yeah. Now, at, at the point where the honest answer to, so what does your company do? It bails water. That's what we do here. We bail water. Uh, yeah. We're just trying not to sink, <laughs> right? That's, that's legitimately, and, and we see startups in this condition all the time. We see founders in this condition all the time. They get so busy bailing water, they forget that's not actually their job. Yeah, and, and look, again, there's a time and a place to kind of batten down the hatches and really try to push through. However, at which point when you're doing that, you're not really improving anything, right? No. I'll give you just like a, a off the cuff example. But although I see this a lot, let's say you've got a business uh, that you started, doesn't matter what type of business it was, and you're super excited like we all are about the business, and you get the business start to generate a little bit of cash, right? And I'll use some numbers, although your mileage may vary. It doesn't really matter what the numbers are. Let's say the business is generating seven to $10,000 a month. Not all the money yeah. in the world, but you take yep. some of it, you pay a couple contractors, what have you. But from that point on, it never really gets beyond that point. You took on some investors because they saw a little bit of cash coming in initially. They thought that would mean more cash. And now you've got, call it $100,000, $200,000 worth of investor debt. You get the business up to seven, ten, maybe $20,000. It's doing okay, but it's never really going to get anywhere. And you're right. constantly trying to, like you said, Ryan, bail water in order to just keep it alive because now you can't admit that it's, it's not a winner. Yeah, you, you can't win any kind of a game by playing defense, right? You have to be on the offensive. You have to be proactively trying to grow the business. And look, don't get me wrong. There are times where you will have to weather storms. We know this better than, than maybe anybody out there. These things take a long time to build. We've talked about this before too, you know, seven, 10 years. However, there's a difference between weathering a storm and just permanently existing in one, right? If Correct. There is no line of sight on how I can stop playing defense and take this on the offensive, look for help. If you can't find it, that's a good sign, right? This is one of those binary moments. If you cannot figure out how to move past what you're doing right now, you're just going to keep doing the same thing and hoping for different results. I don't even want to say good luck. I just like change your mind. Please don't do that. Right? So there, there has to come a point where you change that behavior. And if you can't or won't, then pack up those tents. Well, I got to tell you, businesses, startups tend to have a cadence. And I feel like we could do a whole show on this. And maybe we should, where year one is shitty, year two is shitty, year three is a little less shitty. And then things start to pick up a little if they're going to pick up. Yep. However, 
if they're not going to pick up by year three, year four, it usually means this ain't going to work. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's what folks, because, you know, they've never done this before. Why would you have? They don't see that. They're like, well, I guess I just have to keep persevering because startups take a long time. And again, I, I heard this fantastical story of this uh, Brian Chesky doing it at Airbnb and what that became. And it's like, well, no, not necessarily. You could stick with this forever, but it could <laughs> yeah. be too that you're just, you've just bet on a losing hand and you're not willing to let it go. Sleeping on couches for several years wasn't the important part of the story, right? <laughs> With yeah. Brian Chesky. Yeah. It wasn't the suffering that ultimately led to success. It was part of it in, in his case, but yeah, yeah for sure. Well, in, but, but the, whole, the whole point there is a startup that's working or is going to work typically has some basic growth cadence. There's some uh, metric where every quarter or every half year or year over year, there is growth there's meaningful growth. And I'm not talking about stratospheric growth. I'm talking about the business is growing 20, 30, 40% year over year. That's usually an indicator that things are moving. But if you were doing $10,000 in year one, 15,000 in year two, and 17,000 in year three, I'm sorry, you've probably run out of gas. That's probably just something that isn't going to take off. And at some point, if you keep trying to fight and raise money to try to get it to, to be something it's not, you just have to realize like that bet just didn't work. And by the way, yeah. it's probably okay. That's kind of the way yeah. this business works. So let's talk about what happens when your passion for this thing runs out, right? Because sure. I think this is often one of the leading indicators is all of a sudden the founder themselves is going, shit, I don't even want to talk about this thing anymore. I, I, I'm not, for whatever reason, I'm not ready to shut it down yet, but I'm, you know, I've, I've lost my spark for it. I, I don't want this to be the center of my universe anymore. When and why does that happen? And, and do you see that as being an indicator? I do uh, for, uh, you know, potentially need to, to pack things up. Well, let's talk about like how it tends to play out, right? I actually went through this a couple times in startups that I did. I'll give you two examples of, of, of where it happened to me. One was with a company called unsubscribe.com uh, that I put together, and I'll, I'll go into that story in a half second. And the other one is a company called affordit.com that even, I don't even think the domain's around anymore. With unsubscribe.com, that was a business that we launched. Me and my co-founder, Jamie Simonoff, who I mentioned uh, in, in a previous show, went on to go start uh, Ring, which he sold to Amazon. When we started the business, I was super fired up about it. It was a, a, a pretty good, maybe not that great of an idea that I had to be able to get everybody off of email. And everyone that would listen, I would talk about how big the problem was as far as the total addressable market. Everyone's got email. I would get super excited about it. I was so pumped to get people off of email <laughs> for like yeah. a minute, right? Like for, I, I, turns out in retrospect, and gave this a lot of thought, I wasn't necessarily excited about getting people off of email. I was excited that I had an idea that was novel, right? Yeah. And it happened to have yeah. an addressable market, et cetera. We raised a bunch of money for it. And we started kind of, you know, running with it. I then, as I always do, got distracted with other things and went to go start another business, which would become startups.com. Jamie stuck with it for a while. And eventually the business sold, uh, maybe a couple of years later, not for much. It wasn't a big deal. And I remember talking to Jamie about it. And this is right before he started Ring. And he said, you know, well, I'm never going to start a business again that I'm not genuinely passionate about. Yeah. Right. Not passionate about the novelty of the idea, but what the actual business was. And I thought to myself at the time, like, sort of, what does it matter? 
you know, it's, so long as the, the business is growing, et cetera, you can get passionate about that. But since then, I don't feel that way anymore, right? I feel like if you're not genuinely passionate about what you're building, it's going to show in so many different ways to your employees, yeah. to your customers, in yeah. the product, et cetera. And it's bullshit. Yeah. And you said something else that's really important there, which is that you'll never do that again. Jamie said he'd never do that again. And you've decided not to do that anymore. I think this is one of those lessons that's extremely hard to just hear about for a lot of reasons. Because I think that passion and excitement are so easily conflated. You know, when you that's were saying, I was really excited about it. And, and, and it's, it can be so easily confused. I was talking to somebody just two or three weeks ago who was really excited about an idea. And I started to dig in about the passion. This person's talking about leaving a, a long-term career, quite successful with what they're doing, to follow this other thing. And you know, I, I might be the last person you expect to say not to do that, but I don't like this idea for this person because they're not. They're truly not passionate about the underlying principles, the fundamentals of the business. He's excited about the opportunity. He sees a big TAM. He sees a novel idea and he thinks he can be successful financially with it. And I'm, I'm saying, yeah, but are you passionate? Say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so wound up about this. I can't wait to see this happen. And I'm saying, okay, why? He's like, well, imagine, you know, even if we just get this percentage of the market, it's this many dollars or even if I, I can tap it, right? And I'm like, it works every <laughs> you're time. You're not talking about, yeah, right? I know. I love, I love the application of arbitrary percentage to arbitrary TAM that's not even validated. And now we're rich. <laughs> Yay. Hip, hip, hooray. Year five, we're done. So I think this is a really, really important point. But I also think it's one that's really hard to catch until you've been through it. My, my first go around with this goes a long way back. We go back to like 97, 98 when I built my little digital agency. And after it was about, I guess, year three, when I, I decided to sell it because I realized I didn't give a shit about the business anymore. I didn't care at all. problem. I was just building web designs uh, for people that just like, they had no idea why they needed it or what, what it was going to be good for. And it just lacked the fun. It was exciting in the beginning. It was very wild west time for web design development. And I was excited about that. But then I looked at the product that we were building and the stuff that I was doing and how I was spending my days, which was really just trying to keep the development team and the design team from killing each other and the sales <laughs> team from, from burying us in, in bad work. And I was like, this just sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. And luckily I, I was in, you know, I, I didn't have to shut it down. I, I was able to wind it down with a, with a sale to a, a larger company that could take my client portfolio and do more with them. But it sort of felt like a failure, right? So I, I still had the same resistance, even though I knew I could sell it. I was still like, you know, I don't know that I really want to do this. I, I was supposed to grow this thing to be something bigger. I just really don't care about it anymore. And the passion was absolutely gone. The money was still there, but the passion was absolutely gone. You get the passion for the novelty, right? Initially, yeah. we, we all get like kind of the freebie, right? You get people yeah. uh, tied to it because they're excited that the idea hasn't been done before. It sounds like a novel application and everybody's pumped. But once the novelty wears off and the business is just the business, yep. some of these businesses just suck. They're just yeah. businesses you just don't want to be in. I dealt with that firsthand. You know, I uh, I'd started a business called affordit.com and the concept I thought was was genius, right? This is uh, circa 2007. The concept was we'd allow anybody to buy anything 
using weekly payments. Now, since then, actually a whole bunch of companies have arisen, you know, long, long thereafter. Yeah. But I had this, this great novel idea that I could create this, this new pricing mechanism for just about anything. So people could buy TVs, Xboxes, what have you, for tens of dollars per week. The timing on that one was unfortunate because of all the stuff that was going on with subprime lending. So ninja oh, loans for Xboxes was probably <laughs> not the thing, right? <laughs> Worst time ever to be able to start yeah. that business uh, given the, the financial climate. But, yes. but, I, but I had this, this really specific vision for what that could be. And the vision was novel. The, the addressable market was huge. And I was super excited about it. I raised money from a, from a number of, of uh, angel and venture investors. You had some big names in the cap table. You had to, you, so it was not, not, not only you thought this was novel and interesting, that there were a lot of people that did. Yeah, we had, we had Founders Fund in the deal. We had um, uh, Mark Suster, who was just becoming a VC. He's become a very prominent and great VC since then. Uh, but Mark came in with his personal money. This is right before he had uh, started with what's now Upfront. Yeah. And uh, Dave McClurb, before he started 500 Startups. I mean, people were, were really invested in this thing. And we were really excited about it. But here's the funny thing about that. About a year or so into it, after having given the pitch like 10,000 times, <laughs> it, it yeah. occurred to me, that I didn't give a shit about the business. Like, yep. I, I, I didn't jump out of bed in the morning and say, I can't wait to sell Xboxes for $10 a week. <laughs> like, yep. I, just, I didn't care. I cared about the novelty that I'd come up with something that no one else had thought of. And I didn't want to let that go, the novelty. But then I realized one day that, am I really going to want to sell Xboxes for $10 a week? Is, is that the guy that I am for the rest of my life? And <laughs> right. the answer was there's, no. There's my dent in the universe right oh, there. Oh, man. And I got to tell you, uh, at that point, all of a sudden, this black cloud comes over me. And I'm like, shit, I just convinced all of these people to get behind me for this great idea that I was genuinely excited about, yep. but I had no passion for. But that's, so that's, that's the power of this, of this confusion, right? Yeah, it, between excitement and 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 passion, and these were experienced and and you know uh, successful people in their own right, and they fell into the same trap, and and it's it can be very dangerous. But yeah, novelty is a really shitty building block for a business. Um, <laughs> just it, talking about novelty, it, it reminded me of something. Uh, this is probably the first time that I can go back in time and remember about being excited about something novel and then realizing how quickly it wore off. I wanted, I was at the airport with my dad and they had, there was somebody out in the, like in the concourse selling those. Remember the little cars that would drive to the wall and then when it hit the wall, it would flip over backwards and then flip drive over. the other yeah, way. I love those things. Yeah, I did too. And I was like, I wanted this thing so bad. I was, it was so novel, so interesting, so cool. I was, I was, I was passionate about it, right? At age <laughs> five and a half. And I just kept bugging my dad to get this thing for me. And he was like, what are you going to do with it? He, he was making all the right logical arguments against it. And I just wouldn't hear it. And I finally got it. And it was fun for about 12 minutes. Right? <laughs> and then the novelty of watching a car run into a wall, turn around and drive the other way uh, was, was sadly done. I think I traded it to a neighbor for some baseball cards. <laughs> well, like I always say, the value of anything is the fact that you don't have it. Right? Yep, <laughs> as soon exactly as you get it, it it's, it's useless. It's no longer um, needed. You know, but Ryan, interesting in that story, the afford it story, once I realized, you know, I woke up and realized that that passion was gone, we were also at a point where we needed 
voluminous amounts of capital. Like we needed tens of millions minimum to get going sure. to scale sure. this thing because we were basically carrying debt every time we sent out an Xbox, what have you. Yeah. I'd also be curious to know the underwriting profile of somebody who's buying an Xbox on payment. So my guess is there was a lot of risk in the deal. Funny you should you should say that. Part of what killed me was the first Christmas that, that we launched this, we launched it like in November uh, Christmas time as a test w- with the first roughly million dollars of seed capital that these folks had thrown yeah. in. Uh, it went crazy. We sold $500,000 worth of Xboxes and Playstations within like three weeks. I mean, dead cold from, <laughs> from a, an AdWords campaign. It yeah. was amazing, right? Demand was off the charts. Now, now, the question would, of course, would be, do we get paid back? Because yeah. we were shipping the product and then charging the, the client weekly in, in hopes that we would get paid back. Ton of risk. Hope sounds like a big part of that equation. Oh my God. Do you know who the number one client for us was? We thought it would be college kids, right? You know, they want Xboxes, et cetera. It was single moms yeah. trying to buy an Xbox for their kids. Oh man, I just got depressed. 60% of our, our customer base didn't see that coming. Man, I grew up with a single mom, right? You know what it feels like to be able to, to call someone and say that they owe you $10 when you yeah. know they don't have it? Yeah. I was like, to hell with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is not the business I want to be in. <laughs> right. Whatsoever. You didn't have to actually run out of passion. Somebody came and sucked oh, it all out of you at that point. So yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. And so the next thing happens, we're trying to raise more money. The whole part of this passion was gone. But then the business was running out of money because it was a wildly capital intensive yeah. business. Yeah. And so I'm on Sand Hill Road at the time. This is circa 2008-ish, pitching to every VC there is. And we got so many second, third, and partner meetings. I mean, we did 80 VC pitches in the course of a year. In that time, I'm sitting up there giving the pitch, and I can just feel my soul withering as I'm giving the pitch (laughs) because I don't believe in the product per se. I believe like how it could be a huge business, right? I just don't want to be the guy running it, right? Right. Necessarily, no, I want to be the guy who created it. But at that point, I was no longer passionless I was just trying to save the investors. Yeah. Right? Because that's that's a huge piece, right? Oh man. And guys like Mark, you know, guys like Founders Fund, McClure, what have you, had all put money into my deal and they believed in me. And man, this idea that I'd have to turn to them and say, hey, I lost your money. Yeah. Right. You know, Mark put personal money into this. That's how much he believed in it, right? And the idea of of having to come back to him and say, hey man, like, you know, I'm just not feeling it anymore. You know, sorry about your luck crushed me yeah oh for sure right because it's hard to say like hey i lost my passion you lost your money high five see you next time right that's not a conversation anybody wants to have and it's a huge set of blinders that gets put on to founders when it is in fact time to wind things down and either they can't see it because they're still trying so hard to save the investors or they do know that they should and they just won't. They're just like, I just, I, I'm not going to do it. I just want to hang on a little bit longer, at least delay the pain of having that conversation. And you, you and I both know people that have been through this firsthand. Uh, well, you've been through it firsthand, but we've watched people go through this. There's not a sadder face on the planet, I don't think, than somebody who's just waiting to have that conversation with their investors. Well, so, so let me give some, <laughs> some epilogue to the story. So <laughs> I am... I'm killing myself trying to get this money raised, doing everything that I can, you know, constantly on a plane, constantly pitching. And the business at this point is well out of money, 
right? Like I'm working uh, with no compensation myself. Everyone's working with like a shoestring budget for everything. This thing's on life support at best. Please tell me there's a really meta part of the story where you actually buy an Xbox on payments just to distract <laughs> yourself from this. <laughs> exactly. So I can be the only paying customer. Yeah. And so I'd never raised money before. And I, I, I was laying out in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, saying, like trying to picture what these conversations would look like with these people that believe so uh, strongly in me. And to think that I was gonna have to come back and tell them that I failed you. I mean, just that simple, right? It was partially my ego, but partially because these are people I, I came to really care about. And the idea of failing them just really, really just tore at my soul. Yeah. And uh, months go by, the business is long since dead, right? Everyone knows it but me. And I finally have to sit across from some of the investors. I remember sitting across from uh, Rick Smith at Crosscut Ventures. He's a <laughs> kick-ass VC. Yeah. They've done really well. And I remember sitting across from Rick and I'm saying, Rick, you know, I got to break it to you, buddy. Uh, Ford, it's not going to work. And he looks at me. He's like, <laughs> I, he's like, I know where this is going. He's like, dude, we wrote it off a year ago. God <laughs> <laughs> like, damn it. Yeah, yeah. How did how did I not get this information? And every single investor, we had we had nine investors in the cap table. Yeah. Every single investor uh, was like, Yeah, dude, we wrote that off a, a year ago. Like uh, it's so well, brutal. This isn't new news. You, I'm like, you could have filled an Olympic swimming pool with the cold <laughs> night sweats <laughs> and like it could have all been avoided. Right. It, oh man. And here's the so other funny rough. thing. Since then I've I've had the, the I don't know, maybe good fortune to uh watch some of my friends go through this same period whereby the business is, is kind of, you know, hit, hit a rock, if you will, in, in that the entrepreneur is trying to like, uh, you know, scramble like crazy to, to find some you know, people to either buy the business, whatever. Yeah. And so now what I do, because, uh, you know, we built, we bought six companies uh, since we started startups.com. Um, we've done diligence on maybe 40. So we have talked to a lot of companies. Couple. All I do now is I just call some of the investors because it's such a nepotistic group and everybody knows everybody. And I say, hey, such and such is going through this, this uh, issue in the business. They might not be able to raise money in order to grow it, what have you. Where's your head at, right? And the same thing every time. They're like, man, the guy should just yeah. call me. Like, we've written this business off a year ago, right? Like, <laughs> right. And I think he's sitting there killing himself day after day, night after night, trying to avoid this conversation. Call the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let him know it's yeah. over. You know what's funny, though? So I, I, I had never really given this thought, but... Why aren't the investors reaching out? I mean, I guess at, at that point, there's no there's no real vested interest for them to have it wound down. But there's also no real sense in having that entrepreneur just string themselves out. What, what do you what do you think's keeping them from just picking up the phone and saying, "Hey, Will, this isn't going to work. Stop running around Sand Hill Road and just go lay down, <laughs> let this thing die, and get up and try something else." Because I think it's the same way when you see somebody's marriage failing, right? It's one of those things that you kind of need to let them come to on their own. If you're yeah. the one that comes in and say, hey, you know, your marriage yeah. is terrible. Your wife is terrible. You should give this thing up. Then you're yeah. an asshole, right? Yes. But, but even though everyone knows it, right? You know, you probably right. should have said it. Yep. I think that's one of those things where the entrepreneur often has to get there on their own. But boy, if we have any investors, uh, you know, even angel investors that have family money in, 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 in one company that's their cousin, at least maybe provide the option that, hey, bud, if this doesn't work, we'll be okay, yeah. right? 
look, there are some people that don't feel that way. You know, and it's 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 not across the board. There are some investors that are that are going to have a really tough conversation with you. Yeah, yeah. But what I say to to entrepreneurs, to founders who are, are going through some of this, call a couple of your investors, have an honest conversation, and say, hey, there's a pretty good chance this thing's not going to work. How do you feel about it? Can you just walk me through this? Sure. And I I would give you 99% confidence that the person on the other end of the phone is going to try to console you. Say, hey, man, you know, you gave it your best. We appreciate it. You know, let me maybe call some of the other investors and, and let them know that we should probably be having a conversation with you, but kind of soften the, the landing a little bit. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, it's tough. And we, we talked about this at the top of the at the top of the show, which is that we've both sat across from people that we're looking at going, we probably need to think about winding this down, but in the same you know, same analog, right? You don't want to be the asshole that fires that first shot. It's right. It's really tough to be that, even when you're fairly sure that's what needs to happen. Yeah, tough combos all around. Well, what I tell founders again, because I don't want to be that that guy either, and I also don't think it's necessarily my place. Even if I think I know the answer, uh, yeah. I don't think it's necessarily my place. But what what I will tell a founder is, look, you have two options. You can either keep pressing forward or you can kind of fold the tents. You know what keep pressing forward looks like because you've been spending 18 hours a day working on it? <laughs> yep. Just for a minute, explore properly what folding the tents looks like. Talk to a couple of your investors and say, hey, if, if we weren't able to proceed forward, where's your head at? So at least have that conversation because the mistake I made for a year was thinking that it, this was going to be some calamitous conversation that, that uh, heaven forbid, if I sat across from Mark Suster and told him that, that, that I didn't have his money, that he was going to come back at me like the mob, right? Or Dave McClure. I don't think, I think Dave McClure registered that information for 0.9 seconds, right? I think Dave was like, <laughs> all right, right. Okay, cool. That was it. That was even a conversation. I'm like, Dave, I've been like killing myself for a year. That was less than one second of your headspace. Right? Yeah, at least look a little disappointed for like the next five minutes, okay? Just for my sake, <laughs> I need this. Less, right? I need this, Dave. Yeah, and so I think when you look at all the points, though, Ryan, I think when you look at all the points that you're burning capital, you're just trying to you know avoid losing, all these things, I think you just sort of know, right? Yeah. I see it on an entrepreneur's face. You kind of know when, when, when the game is over. I don't think it has to be this binary chart, you know, this slide ruler that says, well, if this, this, and this is the case, right. then, then I should fold the tents. I've yet to meet an entrepreneur who's at a point where they should probably fold the tents where there wasn't some semblance that that should probably be the case. Yeah, it was never just like an out of the dark mystery, right? Like, oh my God, I just didn't see that coming at all. Right? Like, you know, the last three years have been, <laughs> have been the prelude to this event. And so to that end, I think the most important part about everything we're talking about here is what you sacrifice by not shutting it down. Yeah. Right? So, so just to build on that for a second, and I learned this lesson personally in, in so many ways. Every minute that I was spending building Afford It, which ended up going nowhere, right? Or Unsubscribe, which ended up get, getting sold, where I wasn't diverting 100% of my attention, my passion, my creativity towards something that was positive, that I cared about, that I could build, was a massive failure on my part. Yeah. Right? It's a huge opportunity cost. Huge. It is. And, and even if I'm going to take that energy, all that negative energy, and try to just roll it into something positive, I'll, I'll be better off 10 out of 10 times. Right? All that time that I spent on Sand Hill Road getting my teeth kicked in by VCs that, you know, that didn't want to invest in my company, if I could have just taken that same amount of time 
and put it toward raising money for something new that was going to take off, I would have been able to give my investors an infinite uh, return compared to the zero that they got. (laughs) I'd rather be able to spend my time that way. And I think that's true in life. If the signs are pointing to closing time for the business, the only thing we can do wrong at this point is continue to invest in something that's failing, continue living in denial. It's time to fold up and move on. Look, life's too short, my friend. Just get on to the next thing. Agreed. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.